York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good Aww. friend, Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel the love again. <laughs> Where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. All right, thank you. And you did remind me to ask the question that I didn't have time to ask you last week, and that's actually going to be our chit-chat this week. We're going to get back into... Uh, intellectual property rights and dig a little bit deeper into some of the larger ones. Uh, but before we do, when you signed your first contract, I know there was an advance and there's a payment that's made when you sign and then there's there are other payments along the process. But when did you get your first, from the point where the contract was signed, how long was it until you got your first actual royalty check? Well, but with the information, it was a little bit of a weird situation because the publisher made an exception for me. Oh. So here's what happens. Um, the information is earned out on foreign rights before it ever got published. As anybody who's heard me, oh, and it's been published in this. So I think there's over 24 languages or 24 foreign rights. I don't know. We're, we're over 24 at this point. And some of those were really big contracts. Um, Germany specifically was huge. So by the time the book actually got published, it, it had already earned out on paper. It just hadn't all come in yet. And... Then when it launched, it launched directly onto the New York Times bestseller list. So it was selling a ton of copies, both in hardback and in um, in ebook. What month now, did it launch? It, it launched in March. Okay. At the beginning of March, and the end of that accounting period was March, March thirty first. Oh. And so the first check that would be coming would be in August or September or something like that. Now, because there were only three weeks of that accounting period from book launch to accounting period close, there was very little time for any of the actual sales to come in. And so what the publisher did was they looked at ebook sales and they said, well, we know those aren't getting returned. So we're going to issue you an early, like we're going to count those ebook sales right away. And we're just going to go ahead and issue that onto your first royalty check without having to wait a second period for all of those th all of those numbers to start coming in. Because if we'd had to wait until all of that was accounted for, it would have been about a year until I saw the first royalty check, just because of the way that the, the timing fell. And because of the time lag between account period close and when the checks are issued, which is like another four months or something like that. Okay. And so, I, I think it's safe to assume that most people don't have launches like yours, especially for a first book where they earn out based on foreign rights. This is true. And the other thing is that it launched right when ebooks were starting to become very popular. Like e the ebook phenomena was already in play. But my publisher had never experienced an author who sold as many ebooks on launch as mm. I had. Mm -hmm. And so it was a whole new experience for them at that point. They were like, whoa, they didn't even know what to make of it. And now, looking back in retrospect, it wasn't that big of a deal because it's pretty, that's, that's sort of, it was just at the beginning of the trend curve. So it was all new for them. But that's kind of how things are for everyone at this point, is they sell a lot more in ebooks now right off the bat than they do in, in hardbacks and stuff. 
Hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, that that is the chit chat for today, and so we're actually learning something from the chit chat, which is kind of cool. We get extra points for that, I think. Brownie coins. So let's get into it. You want to talk about movie rights first? Okay, I think that'll be the easier one because I have less experience with that. <laughs> so generally speaking, it, as far as I understand it, and my experience with movies is a lot more limited than my experience with book contracts, but I think that's pretty normal. <laughs> um, <laughs> so at this point, I have one solid consistent experience with movies and then one maybe kind of, but it's a little different and opened up my eyes to a whole other way of how it works. So when I got my contract, it was, it's an option contract, right? And you're talking about your movie contract, movie contract. Okay. It's, it's called there. There's two. Well, let's take a okay. step back. Let's, let's take a step back. You have an agent. Does okay, that agent, the agent who negotiated with your publisher, is that the same person who would negotiate the film rights for you? All right. That's a really good question. So it does take us quite a few steps backwards. So when you sign on with an agent, that agent is the exclusive representation of your work. That means your work, period, in all formats, which means that they are the gatekeeper through which all contracts and money is going to flow towards you at this point. So what a lot of agents do is they have contacts in the film industry because the film industry works similar to the way that books do in that agents represent, either agents or talent managers represent the talent. So they will represent the work, they will represent the actors, they will represent the writers, they will represent you know all different aspects of the movie business, and they are sort of like the ones that are making connections and working out the deals and whatever. And so when your agent signs that agent agreement with you, it is going to be written in there what their commissions are for a specific set of things. So they're going to have the, the, the key big ones are they're going to have their commissions for books, film, and foreign rights. Those are the three biggies. And so when the, the agent is now going to have a sub-agent, that's the film agent. So your film agent is actually, even if you're in direct contact with the film agent, they're still a sub-agent for your agent. You don't get to cut your book agent out of the deal. Even if you go and you sell those film rights separately on your own, your agent is the, the exclusive representation of that work to the world. So if your film, if your film commission with your agent is 15% or 20% or whatever it is, that gets split between your book agent and your film agent by whatever their own private agreement is between them, which is usually 50-50. So your work, which is either a manuscript or a book at this point, will have someone in Hollywood representing it if, if you can find it or if your agent can find it. And they're picky, too, about what they take on. They have to really love a project. And with them, it sits for a long, 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 long time. Like book, if you think the book business is slow, you should try Hollywood. <laughs> it's just, it's molasses in the dead of winter. So I don't know how 
it works like if you're a script writer. I don't know if you can go and present your work to actual producers or directors or anything unless they're your friends or you have that personal in. Like I know in publishing, you cannot just go present unsolicited unsolicited manuscripts. Nobody's going to look at it. It just doesn't work that way because they're inundated with material. And I don't know if it works the same way in Hollywood, but I would assume that it does. I assume it'd be even worse because you're not presenting that script or that work necessarily even to a company, like a big publishing company, like here we have the big five and then the smaller ones and then the independent ones. There you're looking at individuals. Like you might have the big studios, but then you've got the individual producers and the individual production companies. There's so many places for it to go and you can't just go and hand it to somebody while they're eating lunch. These are people, not companies. I don't know. It just seems to me that the process is the same. You more or less have to have someone representing your work to get anyone to take it seriously. And also in books, it's very rare for someone to plagiarize or steal the idea of a book because it's, it's about the execution of the idea. There's so many ideas and actually writing the book is the hard part. But in Hollywood, the ideas are stolen all the time and then repitched to something else. Hmm. And it's just, it's just a nightmare of how things get repurposed and stolen and you hear about it all the time. So like even my agent would be like, no, we're not submitting this until we have a book contract in hand, because that way we can prove that it was ours type type thing. Like that's the mentality. She would never say something like that about books. It's stupid. You know, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to steal your idea because they'd have to write the book first, but totally different with Hollywood. So with movies, then your agent is shopping it and putting it in the hands of people that he or she thinks would be a good fit for it. It's the same concept there. They know who's sold. They know who's doing what. They know who's in with who at what, who's able to get financing. That's a really big problem with getting movies made is can you attract the talent and which would be the actors, the, the good directors, the screenwriters. Um, and it's all, it's so much of it is based on popularity and name. If you don't have big enough actors attached to a project, it's not going to get financed. And so the agents know who it is that's got that kind of clout and they're going to be fighting for their attention. But there are going to be lots of smaller production companies who will look at something and say, hey, this is big. This has value. Let's see if we can get it cheap on the hope that we can get somebody to finance it. And so generally at that stage, what you're looking at are options. So with a film, the film rights, there are two ways to do it. They can buy the film rights outright, which means they own it at that point, or they can put an option on it, which means we know we want it, but we don't want to pay you for it straight up. We just want to give you this little bit of money to allow us this amount of time to do what we do. And then if at the end of that contract, we can decide if we want to actually pay you for it or just shake hands and walk away. And either way, the money, the little money is yours to keep. Okay. Now, before you, before you go on, uh, you use the term they. Who is they? Are you talking about production companies? Are you talking about uh, like big movie companies like Sony? Are you talking about producers? Who is they? Who, who is they the most be, likely person to, to buy or option uh, They the could be any, whoever it is that has the interest in your book. And 
I honestly don't know who would be the most likely. I know that it's been said that movie companies like big production studios are where movies go to die because they will oftentimes just buy up rights as a way to keep them in their bank of potential movie ideas, but nothing ever happens with them unless some scriptwriter comes along and goes, oh my God, I love that story. Who's got the rights for it? And they try and attach themselves on as a writer and or, or if somebody in-house really loves it and they assign one of their in-house scriptwriters to it, try and get it moving. So like, it's, it's, I don't, I'm not an expert on this. I'm just, this is how I've understood it now after conversations I've had and watching things that happen and offers that I've had come in and discussions with my film agent. So I could be getting some of it wrong. Don't take it as scripture. You know, this is sort of like hearsay at this point. But the they is whoever it is that wants it. So let's okay, say. Okay, and now let, let me ask another question. I should we should have done this as background because we assume that everyone knows the the entire Taylor Stevens story. There are a lot of people that just listen for writing advice, and they just know you as someone that's uh, offers really good writing advice. Um, talk for a minute about. The Informationist and who bought it and where it is, because the the true fans of Taylor Stevens know all of that, but a lot of the listeners may not. The Informationist was optioned by James Cameron of Avatar fame, Titanic fame, in 2012, and it is a seven-year option with two option renewal periods. So the initial uh, option was for three years with the option to renew again for two years and renew again for two years. So it was seven years in total. Okay, so this is, this is one of the biggest producers in the world. Yes, yeah, so the way that I understand it, after having done a bit of research into this for, to answer my own questions, is there's sort of like a, um, a hierarchy map. And at the top of this map, the apex, you have the really big studios like, um, you know, and Paramount or, you know, those big ones that can they can finance everything if they want to. And then beneath those, you have the smaller or independent studios, which would be like Miramax or ones that work in partnership with others. They're not as big, but they still produce really big movies. And then beneath those, you have more of the independent studios, which are smaller and, but they're still actually producing, they they make their movies. And then beneath those, you have what are known as um, sort of a self-financed production companies, of which I think there are about 10, and of which James Cameron, that's the, the level that he would fall in that he has his own production company, and it's big enough to buy its own options if it wants, buy its own film contracts if it wants to. It's big enough to pick and choose, but it's they still have to to work in conjunction with a bigger studio, like a partnership with a bigger studio as far as getting the movies, the actual production of the movies financed. Okay. So that, that's kind of where it goes. And then beneath those, you have film producers who don't necessarily, they have their own production companies, but they're not self-financed production companies. And then it keeps on going down from there, like down, down the hierarchy. So 
In this particular case, it was with an individual and his partner who own a production company big enough to say, we can make this decision on our own kit and caboodle, and then we'll work out our own financial agreement with the studio when it's time to get it made. But we'll find our own writers. We'll find, you know, we'll do all of that ourselves. So when that option contract comes in, the rights that they take in movies is unbelievable. And this actually was a question that was just posed to me recently that kind of opens up this discussion. Someone asked me, well, since James Cameron has the rights to the informationist, what do you think, can, have you considered selling the rights to the innocent, which is my more personal towards my life story, even though it's still fiction, uh, to a different venue and get that made somewhere else? And that opens up the discussion to the issue of rights. When the movie contract, the option contract, doesn't just option the book. What it's optioning is the characters. So they have the rights to Vanessa Michael Monroe, Logan, Bradford, all the characters in these stories now and forever in all known universes. <laughs> There's no wiggle room in that. So it means that no matter how many Monroe books I write, I can never sell any of those stories to anyone else. And so the option was only for the informationist. However, he has the right to make any or however many of those movies that he wants. It's just that if he wants to make another one, we have to come back to the table and do another contract. And the first contract includes conditions and terms that sets the tone for what to expect in the second contract. So it's not like you can go, oh, that first movie was such a success. Now I want $80 billion for the next one. It's like, no, we paid you this much for the first one. And so now you can expect to step up to this amount for the second one if and when that time comes. So... The rights grabs in film is much bigger in the sense of what it covers for that particular slice of rights. So if I wanted to do anything with those characters on film um, in any way, shape, or form, I would have to make sure it didn't violate the rights that were given up in, in that contract. And I don't know if film contracts do rights grabs the way that book contracts sometimes do, where they will reach beyond what it is they themselves have the capability of doing. Like a, a publishing company is not going to produce a movie. It has no business with film rights. So it would make no sense for a film contract to, to try and take print rights either. Right. But they both. But I know that pub publishing will try and take those rights if they can. I don't know if film does the same thing, but I know that they are very both both contracts will be very guarded in making sure that you can't do anything to mess up what they want to do in terms of creating something that'll diminish the value of their product. So in publishing contracts, there will be terms called. You know, you can't do create competing works or 
things along those lines that could possibly diminish the value. And it's possible that the, f the film contract has those two, but I don't remember because there was nothing that really jumped out at me as terrifying, like, ooh, I have to be careful about this, and I haven't looked at it in a long time. Okay, so that's... You know, we've we've talked a little bit about your experience with the informationist, and then there's the new book, which was sort of the genesis for this series of shows, a book that has not been published yet. The information was the informationist published when you when you did the movie deal. Yes, it was published in two thousand early two thousand and eleven, and the movie deal was, I forget, in early two thousand twelve. Okay, something. all right. So it was it was, it was, yeah. it was after that. Yeah. So. The the new book has not been published, but it's being made available to people in Hollywood as we speak, correct? Yes. Well, it, it wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, what had happened was we got, you know, we got the contract and I guess by agent my film agent heard about it and he said well congratulations on that when do we do I get to read it and my agent did not want to send it until it had been through the copy editing all the way through editorial and copy editing because so much can change along the way and she really wanted to put her best foot forward for obvious reasons and so she sent it to him and said you know right now we don't really want to shop this around but here it is, so you know what's coming. And so, you know, a couple months later, I get an email saying, by the way, <laughs> I've got somebody who's interested in it. <laughs> like, well then. <laughs> but having talked to people that I know work in that industry, they say that nobody who's reading scripts, I mean, reading manuscripts, really expects to see a finished product. They're not looking for that. They're looking for the story. And unless there are going to be substantial changes in the editing process, it doesn't really matter because they're going to do whatever they want with it anyway. Mm -hmm. and, and going back to that issue, you know, as far as James Cameron having the rights to the informationist, it's not, like I said, it's not the rights to the book. It's the rights to the characters. He can do whatever he wants. It is not, that's why movies are so different than books. They are not putting the book onto screen, they are adapting the book for screen. And if all he wants to do is keep the characters and write his own story that has nothing to do with the book and still call it the informationist, he has that right. And if he wants to like follow true to the story and change the name of it, he has that right. If he wants to change the characters' names, he has that right. He owns the characters, and at that point, he can do whatever he wants. And as far as I understand it, that's pretty standard in the way that movies work. So in this particular case, it's all—it's not really finalized or anything, so I don't want to get into the details. There's just been some interest. But it's something that um, there's things that I learned about along the way before James Cameron um, took the rights, because I'd had quite a few offers for, that, for it, and I didn't sell the rights because I didn't feel they were right for the book. I knew that the character was going to be a hard character to put on screen. I knew that it would be a very expensive movie to make. And I wanted it to go... To, uh, my, my whole vision of it was either do it right or don't do it at all. And I was so broke at the time that even these small offers that were coming in, you know, we'll give you you know, $25,000 for the screen rights with, you know, a $3,000 option. To me, that was a fortune and I needed it so bad. But 
I understood even back then the value of the property rights. And so this once, is we're going back to the pie thing here that we talked about last pie, week. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I you understand. had you had a slice of of pie that in the beginning was you had no idea how much the the pie was worth, but you'd already sold a good bit of the pie, and there wasn't that much left. And yeah. so you you had a sense of the value of that well, those I, few remaining slices. It's not that I felt like they were worth so much. It's just that I didn't want to give them away for nothing, like give it away and then nothing happens with it. Mm -hmm. It would be like, okay, great. I got that money and it got me through the year, but now it's gone. The thing that I've sold is gone forever. Kind of like, you know, selling your magic beans and then, you know, it's gone. <laughs> you ate whatever it was and now what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> so I was like, the money, even though I need this money so badly right now, I will find a way to survive without it. And keeping the integrity of this story, I will always have it. So even if it never gets made into a movie, at least I know that I didn't give it away and then it still didn't get made into a movie, right? At least this is my control, not somebody else, you know, it's just gone. Mm -hmm. So. I, I just said no to the different offers that had come in because I didn't think that they were right. And then when James Cameron found the book, he found it in an airport and he looked at the publication date on it and he was didn't think that there was going to be any possibility that the rights were still available because that long into it, surely someone had already bought it. Yeah, so especially really if you're picking the book up at the airport. <laughs> So he was really quite surprised that it was still available, and I was very happy that it was still available. <laughs> so, you know, will it get made? Eh, who knows? But anyway, that's how that side of it works. Now, another way that things, that was when somebody of his rank position in the hierarchy came and said, I want this. He had the ability to self-fund it. His own people could do the contract. There was just bing, bang, done. But while we were waiting for him to come along, some of the offers were what were known as shopping agreements. And that's where someone says, I really want this, but I don't have the money to put anything into it right now. I would like the possibility to do a handshake where you give me X amount of time to see if I can get talent attached to it and see if I can get something going. And apparently that's quite common a common way to do that. And it's usually done by people who have clout in the industry. They have a name, they have a reputation. And so other people with names and reputations are willing to look at it and maybe get on this team. And what they will do in a situation like that is get something going and take that package of here's the script, here's the director that we have on board, here's the, um, the, the script writer, here's the actor, the main actor, the main actresses, and take that whole thing to a production studio or to a, um, a big studio. People who, have, people who have production studios just to invest in movies uh, and try and get it financed and get it funded and get that rolling. And then if that gets rolling, if they can secure that, then they come back and they're like, okay, let's talk. Let's get this, let's get the money going. And you, at that point, you negotiate, your agent will negotiate the price of the film. So one of the consistent, no, sorry, the price of giving, selling the book, the book rights for the film. 
So one of the consistent things that you've heard me say over and over and over and over in this is agent, 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 which can be very frustrating for people who are indie authors going, well, how does this apply to me? And while books can be a, there are a completely different world of their own when it comes to film, I honestly don't know how anything gets done without either having an inside person who's a friend who looks at it and goes, oh yeah, I know somebody who I can hook you up with who might be interested in this, or you have an agent representing you. And although I know how to get an agent starting from nowhere as an author in terms of books, I have no idea how someone who does not have a book agent and is not a script writer would go and find agent representation in Hollywood. Not a clue. So if there are any of our listeners who know this, let us know, because that's a big, blank, gray area in my understanding of how this whole thing works. All right, so that wraps up the movie portion. We thought we might be able to do movies and foreign rights in in one episode, but... Obviously not. So next week, we will be back talking about foreign rights and translations and all of that. So that'll conclude what is apparently a three-part series in intellectual property rights. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Be with you next week.